I'm Leah Simone Bowen, the host of Podcast Playlist on CBC. We're a podcast discovery show, and we love a great story. So each week, we highlight the podcast we think you should check out. The show is a classic. Love how they select their topics. It's great. And from time to time, we're joined by some of the biggest names in podcasting. My name is Jamie Loftus. John Green. I'm Michael Hobbs. My name is Nicole Byer, and I have a podcast recommendation. You can find Podcast Playlist on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. There's never any guarantee, especially with creative stuff, that the harder or the longer you work on something, the more successful it's going to be. You kind of just got to dive in with this unwavering belief and keep going. That's what Aeneas Mitchell did. She had the idea to turn an ancient Greek myth into a musical. 13 years of hard work later, she captivated Broadway with Hades Town. Aeneas will tell you about sticking to her vision. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Imagine spending a third of your life working on something. One project that becomes your sole focus day in and day out. For nearly 20 years, Anais Mitchell devoted her life to a musical. Until one day, all of her songwriting and her editing was finally ready to go. Once upon a time there was a railroad line. Don't I swear, brother, don't I swear. It was the road to hell. It was hard times. It was a world of God. That is from the Tony Award-winning musical Hades Town. This show knocked people's socks off when it hit Broadway in 2019. Knocked them straight off, clean off, no socks. Partly because in a time of restaging and jukebox musicals, this concept was so original. You gotta picture this as a musical set in a New Orleans jazz bar, and it's based on an ancient Greek myth, the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice. Anais Mitchell spent more than a decade working on Hades Town. She is the first woman in years to have sole credit on a Broadway show. Now Hades Town has opened in Toronto at the Royal Alexandra Theatre. Audiences are still unable to keep their socks on when they're watching this show. And it's been a long time since Anais Mitchell came up with the idea. So Tom Power started off by asking her what it's like to be steeped in something for years and have the world finally catch up. Hey, how are you? Hey, Tom, I'm good. Thanks for uh, talking to me again. Yeah, I'm happy to have you back on. I always, I mean, I remember studying this myth when I was in like university and I could never say Eurydice, by the way. I want to apologize for that. I can never say it. <laughs> yeah, you always get um, Euripides from some people, which is like a, a playwright, right? A Greek playwright. Were you into Greek mythology when you were a kid? Yeah, I didn't study it in school. I wasn't like a classics person, but um, but I remember encountering this particular myth, the Orpheus and Eurydice myth, in um, a children's book, like the Dolaire's book of Greek mythology, and it was illustrated. And um, just the picture of kind of Orpheus and Eurydice ascending from the, the underworld and the light at the end of the tunnel that, you know, they never reached together. And it made an impression even back then. At this stage, are you able to do for me, like for people who don't know, like a very Coles Notes version of the original myth? <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see how concise I can be. So it's um, Orpheus, the great lyre player and musician and poet, falls in love with Eurydice. She's a wood nymph 
And in the original myth, she is bitten by a snake on her ankle and dies and goes to the underworld. And he's so distraught that he goes down there after her. If it's true what they say, if my love is gone for good, they can take this heart away. They can take this flesh and blood. Take my mouth that kissed the mouth. Take my tongue that's sung of praise. Take my arms that used to reach out in the dark where she lay. And finally gets to the underworld and he he convinces Hades to let Eurydice go. And Hades says, yes, you can have her back, but you you have to walk out of the underworld with her following behind you and not turn around to make sure that she's there until you guys reach the you know, the light of day and they set out on this journey and they and they almost make it to the end and then he's sort of besieged by doubt and he turns around and loses her forever. Where are you now? Doubt comes in and kills the lights. Doubt comes in and she chills the air. Doubt comes in and all that's that's the story he did great by the way wonderful like 45 second telling of an ancient greek myth oh thanks yeah i have some practice so why did you decide to take this one on like what what were the germs of the idea of like well maybe i could turn this into something yeah i mean i think like a lot of creative ideas at first it, it just kind of fell out of the sky. You know, I was driving in my car uh, in the early days of me trying to be a singer songwriter and um, driving like impossibly long distances between gigs. And these lines kind of just came into my head and they came with the melody and they seemed to be about this story. And once I started to get into it, I think I was excited because Orpheus is this young dreamer, this this optimist, this poet. He believes if he can make something beautiful enough, he can change the way the world is. And the underworld is this place where like the rules are the rules. You know, you don't get a dead person back. And in this telling of the story, it's not the underworld as such. People aren't dead, but it is a sort of a lifeless world. And um, and you sort of believe that Orpheus could change things. I'm something about the time I, I was in when I started writing it. I was right out of school. I was coming out into the world as a kind of a idealistic young person. Then there's a sort of just archetypal mashup of the, the spirit of youth and idealism and then the reality of the way the world is. Uh, and there's something that just kept giving about that story. I, I understand that. I mean, I understand that better now. The idea that when you kind of come out of college or when you start kind of working on a creative project, you can – or just come out of college at all. You can be like filled with this sort of idealism. And then sometimes you can have these moments of like – I don't want to even say it's cynicism. I don't even want to say it's realism. But you can have these sort yeah. of moments of just like, oh, well, maybe this is the way the world wants to be. Right. Right. And there's something about – 
young people that they have access to, you know, they're seeing things with new eyes and they're like, Hey, this is wrong. Hey, we're going about this thing in the wrong way. And, um, and it's, it's useful that that energy keeps coming, but it, it sort of has a shelf life, right? Like you, then you, then you have seen too much of the world to kind of see it with new eyes. And that's the story of Orpheus. Like he, he goes to the underworld and he can envision a different way of the world being. And then by the time the end of the show, the end of the story rolls around, he's kind of seen too much. Mm. And, and it's, and it leads to, you know, the doubts that make cause him to turn around. I, w- I want to talk about what you did with this show uh, musically. Just take a listen to this. Hound dog howls and the whistle blows. Train comes a rolling, clickety clack. Nobody knows where that old train goes. Those who go, they don't come back. Way down, Hades town, way down under the ground. So my guess is Nace Mitchell. We're talking about her show uh, Hades Town, which is about to start touring Canada and. Um, I know you as a, I mean, you and I have talked about this in the past. I know you as a, as a singer-songwriter and a, kind of a, as a folk singer. Uh, I, I've nerded out to you about your recording of child ballads that, I, that I've always really loved. And, and, oh, yeah. But I, um, I guess when I first watched Hadestown, I knew your music outside of that. And I was, kind of, I was kind of surprised musically by the directions you took. Like, talk to me about approaching this from like New Orleans jazz music or like Southern Delta blues music. Like, how did you... Where did that sound come from in you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think in terms of the songwriting, you know, I always was sort of interested in kind of like Travis picking that thing with the thumb where you just get that sound that feels sort of like a jug band on the street. Yeah. Um, and so some of those songs, like the one you just played, I think, come from from that style of playing guitar. But um, but from very early on, um, I also was working with orchestrators, arranger orchestrators. And those guys definitely come from a jazz world and they pushed for a sound that was, you know, that included the horns, the strings, the really sort of exciting rhythm section. What you gonna do when the chips are down? Now that the chips are down. What you gonna do when the chips are down? Now that the chips are down. And so I think the show has has that sound baked into it from the very beginning. And, and that's something that a lot of musicals that begin in the theater world, this, the arrangements, the orchestrations are kind of an, um, they're one of the last things that gets added, you know, whereas this show obviously came from the music world and that was always part of the DNA of the show. There's gonna be this trombone, there's gonna be these strings, yeah. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, Here, There and Everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How, how, how different is writing for something like this versus writing for one of your own albums? Like, what, what, what was the most difficult part of it? Was there, was there a big learning curve? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... I mean, there was a 12 year learning curve, Tom. It's like, <laughs> it was like extended grad school for me. Um, 
I think the main thing as a songwriter that is different is like, um, I love to write three and a half minute songwriter song that's like it has a chorus it maybe has a bridge it's sort of uh it, it it's something you can kind of get lost in right like one of the things i love about songs is you it's sort of a suspension of time uh where you just get lost in in the moment of what the song is and and that's part of writing dramatic music but in drama there's also this requirement that a song has to have like results like it has to have a mm. you have to arrive at a place that's different than you began um because it's part of um, the telling of a story that is a linear process. And there's something about getting lost in a song that is the enemy of drama, right? Because um, in drama, you know, stasis is a problem. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of the process of, of developing the show was like taking these songs that existed as a kind of three, three and a half minute songwriter song, music world song, and then exploding them, ideally keeping the DNA of what was there, but, but putting, let's say like a, an intro that kind of sets up the context of the song and the stakes of it. And then maybe a bridge where you sort of have a camera shift and check in with a different character. And then maybe an outro <laughs> where a character is able to say, I've made, I've taken a decision. I've made, you know, something is different now. What, I, what I'm interested is sort of how the, even the meanings of the songs will have changed from when you first staged them. You know, I, I watched, I got to watch Hamilton not that long ago when I came to Toronto and amazing. it was amazing to see it, you know, as this sort of like Obama era, you know, musical of, of, you know, American hope and to see it in 2023 was such a different experience and i felt that listening to hades town as well let's just take a listen to this why do we build the wall my children my children why do we build the wall that is why we build the wall from the musical hades town so aeneas you would be forgiven if you, you know, if you went in to see this thing in, in Toronto or, or across Canada and think, oh, well, you know, this must be Aeneas's reaction to the, you know, the, the, the building of the wall. Let's build a wall. The, the U.S. President Donald Trump's kind of um, mantra there for a while. But right. obviously this came around. This, this musical has been around for a long time. You're writing these songs for a long time. Talk to me about putting this song in your musical, where it came from, and like what it's been like to watch sort of like the meaning of that song evolve. Yeah. Yeah. That song is really old. I mean, it's from 2006. Uh, and it's one of the few songs that I wrote really quickly. Usually I really sweat it out, <laughs> um, especially with lyrics. And that one just was just kind of a gift. It just arrived. And before I even understood kind of what it meant and it went in the show and, um, and yeah, the moment that this, that the show was um, heading into off-Broadway New York Theatre Workshop was right when our former president was on the campaign trail and um, doing these rallies where, lit he, I mean, it was as if the language of the song had been lifted <laughs> and put into the mouths of people. Build that wall, build that wall, build that wall. Because it's a call and response in the show um, also. Well, and it was, What it was, was that like for you? What was it like for you to see that? Um, God, it was chilling. It was, to, it meant something totally different. And it, and it also, it made it feel like what he was doing, what 
what he was doing was tapping into an archetype, you know, tapping into something much older and much larger than himself and what he could come up with. And that people were responding in an almost like a a mythic archetypal way, uh, you know, people that were feeling scared and looking for something to latch onto. Obviously it feels different. We we did the show in London and it feels, it felt different over there. And, And now that we've sort of gained some space and some time from that whole era, thank goodness, it means something else again. And that actually has happened with a few of the songs in the show like yeah yeah, there's a song called hey little songbird which is really a it's almost a seduction but it's also sort of like a business transaction between hades and eurydice where hades is trying to convince her to to leave orpheus and to come to this land of wealth and security in the underworld hey little songbird cat got your tongue always a pity for one so pretty and young when poverty comes to clip your wings and knock the wind right out of your lungs, ain't nobody. It began to, like during the Me Too moment, um, we were doing the show in Edmonton, actually, and suddenly that song felt way more sinister. It, you know, it felt like... Um, like it meant something different. And then some of the poverty themes, you know, there's um, the wedding song is about how are we going to survive in these lean times in these, in these dark times. And I can remember, I used to play that song in my songwriter shows and um, around 2007, I guess when the recession began, people began to laugh. <laughs> they laughed about it because it felt like it was speaking to the current events. It's amazing to see how these, these like the songs can exist in kind of one moment and we can, we, we, our, our relation to them can change, sort of, in the depending on the time that we're living in. You, you mentioned Edmonton there. The the show. My understanding this is Canadian radio, so I kind of have to say this. Like yeah. uh, uh, the the show workshopped. At, is it the Citadel in Edmonton? Is that right? That's right. That's right. While, while you were getting yes. ready for Broadway. Yes, it was. It was you know one stage of the journey. So we had we had put the show up off Broadway. We were trying to get to Broadway, and it took two more productions before that happened. So we went to Edmonton, and then we went to London, and but we had a really important and fantastic time in Edmonton. And partly why we went is because it was so far from New York, and felt you know like a, a safe space for us to experiment. What, what time of year were you in Edmonton? Yeah, it was freezing. <laughs> I was going to say, like what? It was freezing. It was November and December of oh 2017. And um, yeah, I remember that, you know, they have all those under, they have all the sort of like walkways where you can sort of walk through the mall to get to different places. You don't have to go outside. <laughs> and so we would walk from our housing, you know, to the theater almost all through this mall because it was bitterly cold outside. I mean, it, it, there's no better time to be staging theater in, in Edmonton to, than when you cannot literally go outside. Yeah, yeah. Just a couple of questions before we go. I think it's sure. it's not rare for someone to have I mean, how, how long from concept to staging on broadway Aeneas, would you say hades town was i think it was 13 years so within 13 years it's nothing for a like an artist to have an idea and work on it for like one or two years or and it not kind of work out and if, for it to go away or even five or six years and then it kind of go away or you get tired of it or you get interested in something else i think what yeah. i find really interesting about this is that i mean yeah it wins eight tonys and it has this huge following across the continent but there was a 30-year life and that's a long time to spend with anything which didn't have any guarantee of in fact i had almost a guarantee of not having success did you ever want to be free of it 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, mostly I think I, I missed uh, the music world because it took a lot of time away from that. My life of touring and sort of making records. And sometimes I wondered if I would ever get back to it. And gratefully, I have, you know, uh, I have returned in a way to music, which feels great. Um, this, what kept me coming back, I think, to Haiti sound was partially what we were talking about with the just these myths and how they keep evolving. Like it never got tired. It never got old. The story meant something different based on what was happening in the world and also based on where I was at in my life. You know, I identified with different characters at different times. And the other thing was the um, the collaborators, because you can't make music theater without it's just a wildly collaborative art form. And um the times when I wanted to quit were the times I was like alone at my desk, you know, looking for a rhyme for one line, for one stanza of a thing that was going to advance the plot some way that needed to happen. But when I was in the room with Rachel, with, um, you know, the choreographer, the the orchestrators, the, the sets, the costumes, the props, the actors who just are brilliant and bringing so much depth of experience. Um, that was all very exciting. And you want to show up for each other. And so that kept the wind in our sails, I think. What's your relationship with it now? Mm, really interesting question. <laughs> I think I was, um, I, I was pretty exhausted by the time the show finally went up on Broadway. And I um, I really needed to take a step away. And and then there was a global pandemic. I moved back. To, I moved out of New York, back to my home state of Vermont. I had a second baby. Uh, I've been making music with my band. I, and I feel like I've gained a sort of a healthy kind of distance from it. Um, I'm so excited to see it. I'm going to see it again in a couple of days in Toronto and, and see some actors that I've never seen put on the show. And um, I have started to uh, sort of get excited about it again and also about just music theater in general. It's, it's always, um, I'm always blown away by the, by the form of music theater, any, any show I see, whether I like it or not, it's like, just takes, it takes so much work to create a piece of musical theater. And um, so I'm grateful to have gotten to do it. You know, I feel, um, and I'm so lucky that, <laughs> that it was successful in the end enough that it's people are able to experience it all over the world. That's like in, never in my wildest dreams when I started writing songs for it, did I think it would be opening in Toronto and be on a tour of Canada. I just, I had no concept of that. Well, it's, I'm, I'm so excited that people in Canada are going to get to see it. Um, thanks for being yeah. here. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> thanks so much for having me. She is so articulate about stuff that's kind of hard to articulate sometimes. Anais Mitchell, magical creature, singer, songwriter, musician, playwright. Her Tony Award-winning musical, Hades Town just opened in Toronto. It's at the Royal Alexandra Theatre until August 20th. It'll also be traveling to Ottawa, Calgary, and Edmonton later this year. Here's one of the tunes from the show. This is a version of Wedding Song, sung by Anais Mitchell and Bonnie Bear. sing along and they're gonna break their bands for me to lay their gold around my feet all the fashion in the pan all the fashion for your hand the river's gonna give us a wedding band lover tell 
apple and the sugar from the maple. That's Wedding Song. This version is Anais Mitchell and Bonnie Vare. The song's also in the musical Hades Town, which you heard Anais tell Tom Power all about. Anais wrote the book and the music for the show. As you heard, it took years and years of effort to make it to Broadway for Anais Mitchell. All right, that's it for this episode of Q, the podcast. You can find another episode in our feed today. It's Tom Power's conversation with Canadian singer, songwriter, and frankly, sensation, Lauren Spencer-Smith. That was a lot of S's there, some alliteration for you, inspired by her devotion to writing craft, which is significantly better than mine was just right here. Lauren had this unbelievable success before even putting out her debut album. She had a viral video when she was a teenager. She got invited by email, like people at American Idol wrote her an email to say come audition for our show she had uh, over a billion streams before putting out her debut album it is out now you can hear her talk about that wild ride that episode is in your podcast feed I'm Talia Schlanger sitting in for Tom Power I'll see you next time For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.